What's up and welcome to Ask Father Josh, the podcast where I get to hear you out, listen to your questions, pray with them, and hopefully respond in such a way that it's helpful for you and your walk toward eternity and you walk toward becoming the particular saint that God our Father desires for you to be. Here's how the show goes. You hit me up with questions and I'll study, pray, research, have conversations with my community, and then try to get back to you with some advice that is helpful for you. I want to encourage you and invite you to hit me up with your own comments and critiques from today's show and previous shows and send me new questions at askfatherjosh at ascensionpress.com and also rate and review us on iTunes and on other podcast formats so that other people can find out about the show. If the show is a gift for you, then potentially it can become a gift for them in encountering our Savior, Jesus Christ. On today's show, we're going to talk about sadness and depression. We're going to talk about Lenten penances, sexism in the church, and sharing our faith in public, online, and social media. But before we get jumping into today's topics, I want to share with you a glory story. So my glory story this week comes from some time spent with one of my buddies in the seminary, and he was sharing with me this really cool thing that him and some of his friends are doing that I, I just think it's beautiful, and I I would like to practice it myself. Basically, they follow the model of, of Chinakalo. Chinakalo is this awesome uh, rehab center uh, that was founded, I think, many years ago in Italy, I believe, by Mother Elvira, potentially. Uh, but they're, they're also in Alabama and Florida, and so it's an awesome Catholic rehab center where they, they, they really invite people to the spiritual life as they give them counsel and, and a lot of hard work and community, but... I think one of the things that they do is they do communal penances. So basically, every time one person falls into their particular vice, uh, then someone else will do a penance for them. And that way they're able to see how their how their falls and setbacks affect other members of the body of Christ. There, there's no sin that we could ever do that doesn't affect the entire body because we're not just individual people. We're, we're members of a body. And so whatever I do, even if I don't realize it, like in private, it will affect every member of the body in some way, shape or form uh, because we're all together. We're all united. And so what, what my, my buddy in the seminary does is he and some other seminarians get together and anytime any of them um, struggle or are just given to a bad habit or given to a vice or, 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 or whatever, um, they will tell their, their brother seminarians and then the other seminarians will then do a penance with them. Right. And so then they'll pray together. Um, but the other seminarian will also take on the, the sacrifice to show their brother, like, I'm with you. I'm in solidarity with you. I want to suffer with you. I want to walk with you in healing. And so I think that's just the most beautiful thing ever. So I'm going to start pl- applying that to my life and, and practice and with some friends. And I would encourage you to do that as well, just to give it a try, give it a shot and see if it's helpful for you. Um, basically, invite your accountability partners, if you're a girl, your sisters, if you're a dude, your brothers, uh, and invite them to to enter into your struggles. And so to discern what's my dominant vice. Is it sloth? Is it envy? Is it pride? Is it wrath? Is it lust? Is it gluttony? Is it greed? Like, what is my dominant vice? And whatever it is, anytime I fall in that area, I'm going to reach out to one of my brothers or my sisters in my community, and I'm going to let them know so that they can pray with me and they can take on a penance. And that way I can recognize, oh my gosh, like 
I'm not in this alone, and everything I do affects other people. In fact, that's what priests do, too. Whenever people come to confession, the priest, we are supposed to take on a penance for the penitent as well. So we give you a penance, but we also take on penances as well. And so every time people come to confession to me, I would never give someone a penance that I won't do myself. And so, um, uh, yeah, so, yeah, we're walking together. We're, we're going to suffer together. And we're going to grow in holiness together. So, yeah, um, I think it's super cool. It's a glory story because I'm, I'm super excited to apply this new practice to my own walk with my brothers and community and, and my spiritual life and see where the Lord takes us and see how much freedom we all find from our imperfections and from our vices and our bad habits and, uh, and just to, to have people to really be real with and vulnerable with and grow grow in our relationship with God and the rest of the body of Jesus Christ in our walk toward eternity. So that's my glory story. I hope you enjoyed it. And I want to invite you and encourage you to potentially ask your spiritual director if you can begin that practice in your life as well. Before we get jumping into today's topics, I have some follow-up feedback from previous episodes. The first one comes from, from Phil. Dr. Phil. Phil writes this. Father Josh, thank you for your podcast and all the work you do. I started listening last December and I always look forward to your next episode. I wanted to share a glory story with you. Praise God, Phil. I love glory stories, right? I, you know, and here's why, because the news is so depressing. I don't want, like the news just talks about everybody's business and throws everybody on the bus and gossips about everybody. And we wonder why kids get bullied so much in schools because the news bullies people all the time. And all they do is talk about people's faults and their wrinkles and their shame. And I ain't got no time for that. So I really do enjoy glory stories. I enjoy the good news. So Phil, Thank you for sharing the good news with me. So this is what Phil said. Two weeks ago, my wife and I participated in a half marathon at Disney World. Although we train for it, we live in the Pacific Northwest where it is cold and the humidity is low. On the day of the race, uh, the temperatures were in the upper 80s with about 85% humidity. Around mile nine or eight, my wife really started to struggle. The race was very important to her. I wanted to help her. And I decided that I needed to find a way for her to concentrate on things other than her suffering. I asked her if she would pray with me. She was too weak to pray the rosary out loud. So I did it for her. Whoa, this is keeping up with that whole theme of the community, right? We're all members of the body of Christ together. When you are weak, I am strong. When I am weak, you are strong. Praise Jesus Christ. Back to Phil. However, I decided to use the method you taught us. Every time I said the name of Jesus, I stopped and I reflected on our situation. I wanted to show points about Jesus' life that, weren't, that were relevant to our current situation. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit reminded me of Mary and Joseph going to Bethlehem, fleeing to Egypt, Jesus with the woman at the well, the baptism of Jesus, Jesus carrying his cross in the heat, and other stories like that. I was flooded with images of Jesus regarding suffering heat as well as refreshing water. I prayed the rosary with my wife all the way to the end. And so I'll go to the end of the road. No, I won't let you go. So my wife remarked how much this method made her think about Christ and made the prayer much more meaningful. It also helped us continue on and finish the race. Whoa, it's like St. Paul says, you got to persevere in that race. Praise God and thank you for the lesson, Phil. Phil, dude. That is such a beautiful, glorious story, brother. I'm super grateful for that, and I'm going to remember that and share that with my people and my parish. Our next follow-up feedback comes from Mariana. Mariana, Mariana, Mariana. She says this, Father Josh, thank you for your podcast and all your spiritual advice. I wanted to comment on your show about Ash Wednesday. 
The person that wrote in and asked the question if they're supposed to leave the ashes on their forehead all day because they're concerned that leaving it on their forehead would cause unnecessary attention and stares during class. I wanted to let them know that I felt that way for a long time and would attend mass at the end of the day so that people would not look at me strangely. I then thought about and felt like I was hiding my faith and that is not what I wanted. I am proud of who I am as a Christian. I started to then get ashes in the morning and going to work with them. Yes, people stare and make comments or ask about it. I take that time to talk about my faith and share with them why we do this and what it means. When I started getting my ashes, there were very few people at work who also did, but now I have found that more and more are coming to work with them, and it is a great sight to see. I would say take the stares and questions as an opportunity to talk about your faith with others and have an open dialogue with them about it. I recently had a coworker tell me that because of me and my openness of my beliefs, she was going to start going back to church and was very eager to get her ashes for the first time in several years. Whoa, whoa. See, God used you like in that simple way. Evangelization, being a bridge for people to encounter our Savior Jesus Christ in the sacramental life of the church is super easy, super simple. So Mariana, Mariana, uh, Mariana, Mariana. Marry somebody. Uh, thank you so much for sharing that glory story. And next time, let me know how to pronounce your name right. <laughs> All right, on to the first question for today's show. This first question comes in from Mark. Marky Mark. Mark writes this. It's about sadness and depression. Hello, Father Josh. I really love your podcast. I just started listening to them last month, and they have helped me follow the path to sainthood. So, I've graduated from university, but life after that has been different. Even though university had good times, there were times where it was worse than bad. One of which was not graduating with a good grade, where I had to do exams again four times, which brought my confidence down low. Another bad time was losing everyone that I met. I'm used to not making any friends because of my social difficulties, but the moment I started university, I felt promised that I would make new friends, but at the very end, they all just disappeared from my life. It felt more like I was being befriended than making friends for life and became very jealous when I did not get invited to um, unifriend catch-ups. Univer- oh, uni as a university. Huh, that's a new word for me. University friend catch-ups as they forgot me. There are other bad memories from university that I cannot seem to forget that this overall has left me broken. I haven't been diagnosed with depression, but now can have episodes of low mood and on few occasions thoughts of suicide. Now on the religious side of things, I pray to God and Jesus and attend Sunday Mass, and I feel quite moved by homilies, speeches, etc. But despite the happiness of them, I live in a world when I can be full of hopelessness at times, where I can't seem to hear His voice and where I can't seem to receive good enough blessings more jealousy uh, where some of my Christian friends stayed on social media that they received blessings from God. It's as if God can forsake me just as he forsaked his son when he was on the cross, and I felt that moment when I failed an exam. My questions are, why does God allow me to be sad and hopeless and allow me to have bad thoughts of suicide and forsaking? Why did he put me in a state of pain and brokenness, especially creating depression? How can I heal the wounds of the past and be more self-confident and confident in Christ? God bless you, Mark. Whoa, Mark, thank you so much for reaching out, man. Uh, The first thing I want you to hear from me is that Jesus Christ loves you. God, your creator, your father, he sees you, he knows you, 
and he loves you, Mark, through and through. He knows everything about you. He knows your struggles. He knows your imperfections. He knows your wounds. He knows about your depression. He knows about your thoughts of suicide, and he delights in you. God loves you. The most important person who you're ever going to meet is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, unlike other people, will not leave you. He also has experienced friendships that were passing. He experienced people who were in his life for a season and then left for a season. He experienced people who he really leaned into and fed into and they left him. Remember, right before his passion, he, he said, my soul is sorrowful even unto death. Like he experienced a, an extreme sorrow, an extreme sorrow of not only knowing that he was about to be crucified, but a sorrow of knowing that the people that he leaned into for three years were going to abandon him, betray him, deny him, and reject him. That was a serious, serious, painful moment in the life of Christ. He knows you, brother, and he gets you, and you're not alone. And if anyone gets you, it's Jesus Christ. So the first thing I want you to know is that Jesus Christ loves you, he gets you, and he wants you to relate with him on that level of experiencing that pain, that sorrow in your heart. And God has a plan for your life, Mark. He has a plan for your life for your good, for your good. He has a plan for you to become a great saint. And I don't know what that plan is going to look like. I don't know how it's going to unfold, but I know how the story is going to end if you can lean into Jesus and continue to express to him in your prayer all these struggles that you're going through right now. God has a plan for you. And he wants you to relate and be honest and be vulnerable and be real and be raw and authentic in prayer. But he also wants you to be real and raw with someone else. And that someone else that I'm perceiving in prayer that he wants you to open up to, especially about your, your thoughts of the suicide, whether they're passing or they're, they're very pressing in your heart, is a licensed counselor or psychotherapist. Um, I really want to encourage you to go to that member of the body of Christ. In Sarah chapter 38, we hear that God tells us in the Bible, he says like that medicine is good for us. And I am a huge proponent of receiving, receiving medicine from doctors. And so I want you to go to a doctor. I want you to go to somebody that's licensed. I want you to, to invite you to go to someone who can walk with you. Those people are members of the body of Christ who have gifts to offer us. If we reject the doctor, if we reject the pharmacist and the medication that they can give to us, Sirach says that in essence, we're, we're rejecting God, right? God is saying, I'm trying to heal you, but your particular path of healing, it won't only be in prayer. It's going to be in counseling. So I really want to encourage you to go to see a counselor. Some of the holiest people I know, priests, religious, seminarians, lay faithful, married people, singing people, widows, they see counselors. Don't just settle for spiritual direction. A lot of people like to over-spiritualize what they're going through, and that's not healthy, especially whenever we're trying to grow in holiness. We're like, oh, everything's a spiritual thing. No, some of it is legit psychological, and, and it has to do with other things that a spiritual director can't help with. So I would encourage you to not only lean into Jesus in prayer, to not only lean into your priest at Mass by going to the Sacrament of Reconciliation and receiving the sacraments in the church, but also go to a counselor. Also, while I was praying for you, the prophet Isaiah came up very loud and clear. The prophet Isaiah um, wrote in, in the Old Testament something that I think might be really helpful for you. And this is what he said in Isaiah 58, Isaiah chapter 58, verse 7 through 8. He said, share your food with the hungry, provide the poor wanderer with shelter. When you see the naked, clothe them and do not turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then, Mark, your light will break forth like the dawn and your wound will be quickly healed. A lot of times when we're very wounded, and I'm speaking from personal experience, we can begin to navel gaze and we can begin to focus on our issues and on our problems, on everything that's not going right in our life, right? 
God's word tells us if we want our wounds to be healed, we need to go out of ourselves and serve the poor. There is someone in your community, Mark, who is suffering. There's someone who is poor. There's someone who is homeless. There's someone who is in need. And God is calling you, according to the word of God, to get out of yourself and go and serve them. Really get out of yourself and go and serve them. So on to your question, why does God allow you to feel this way? Right? God can't, he's not going to force you to feel any kind of way, right? Because he loves us. And the second God begins to force us to have certain emotions, um, then it's no longer love. He loves us. So he allows us to experience everything freely, right? He's never going to come in and manipulate our, our emotions, right? But he gives us remedies. And those remedies that he gives us when we experience this deep sorrow in our hearts and our minds and our bodies and our senses and our emotions. The remedy is the sacraments. The remedy is counseling and medication. The remedy is going out of ourself, serving the poor. And the remedy is intentionally choosing to pray every day and relate our hearts to God. And you might struggle with this, with those remedies for seasons longer than you want. But it's not up to us to pick and choose when we're going to find the healing and the breakthrough. The healing and the breakthrough might happen within weeks of getting counseling and getting on medication, serving the poor and receiving the sacraments and keeping up with your rule of life of prayer. But the healing might also happen in 50 years, right before you die. Or the healing might happen when you're in purgatory. I don't know. I just don't think it's ever healthy to put a timetable on when we're going to experience the healing that we want. Just trust that God's going to give you the, the grace to suffer well. He'll give you the grace to struggle well in your walk toward eternity. And you can count on this, Mark. You're not alone. Jesus knows what you're going through. He experienced so much sorrow. And now you have all my listeners who've heard this podcast who can potentially begin to pray for you. I know I am. I've been praying for you and I'm going to continue. And I want to encourage our listeners to also intercede and pray for Mark um, as he continues to walk through um, this, this difficult season of his life. You are loved, Mark. You are loved, you are known, and you are a necessary member of the body of Christ. You have a charism that's been given to you at your baptism that I don't have, and the church needs you. The church needs you to share your charism. And I think the way that you're going to be able to share your charism is if you really lean into Jesus in prayer and sacraments and service to the poor and in the members of the body of Christ who can help you and walk with you through counseling and even medication. I love you, my brother. God bless you. All right, do y'all have any additional advice for our brother Mark? If so, hit me up at AskFatherJoshUaDecisionPress.com. Next question comes in from Bob. 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 Bob, I like that name. Bob says this. He's asking a question about candy during Lent. Hi, Father Josh. I have a question. It may seem like a silly question, but I'll ask anyway. Is it okay to eat sweets during Lent? The reason I'm asking is this. I remember reading about someone who said they didn't want to have sweets because it was Lent. I'm guessing it's because they gave up sweets for Lent, but I thought I would check anyway. Thank you very much, Father Josh. Bob. Yeah, Bob. So basically, you can have sweets during Lent um, if that's not your penance, right? Uh, I always encourage people to really discern their penances. Like our penances that we give up during Lent should be things that um, if we go without them, if we, if we detach from them, we're really going to feel it and it's going to help us to reorient our attention toward Jesus because we're going to experience the ache. So like me, for instance, I don't struggle with sweets. If you told me I could not eat sweets or snacks between meals for the rest of my life, I would be fine. That's never been a struggle for me. And so if I ever gave up sweets for Lent, 
it would be pointless because they, I would not be drawn to Jesus by giving up sweets. I would not be reminded about Christ. I would not invite Christ to that ache because there wouldn't be an ache. And so we give up good things that enable us to experience the ache so that we can then go deeper with Jesus in prayer and specifically in prayer and the scriptures and specifically in prayer with the scriptures and the gospels because Lent is a season to really meditate on the passion of Christ, to meditate on um, his suffering with us in our walk toward eternity. Think about our, our, our Lenten penances is this. What's my dominant vice? What's the virtue I want to grow in? And then apply prayers, fasting, and almsgivings to those vices that will enable us to grow in those virtues, to grow closer to conforming our life to Christ and our walk toward eternity. If we really, really enjoy sweets and giving them up will, will be helpful for us, then it's great. Praise God. Do that. I encourage you. But don't just give up Coke or sweets because it's something simple that we can do and um, it's something everyone else does or we're trying to lose weight. Like That's not what Lent's about. Lent's about Jesus and about conforming ourselves deeper to the image of Jesus Christ crucified so that we can one day experience the joy of the resurrection with the body of Christ in our walk toward him. So hopefully that was helpful, Bob, in your walk with Jesus. Do you have any additional advice for Bob? If you do, again, hit me up at AskFatherJosh at EssentialPress.com. All right, stay tuned. We're going to go into a quick break. When we come back, we're going to dive into our final two questions about Instagram and Facebook and about sexism in the church. Stay tuned. Reading the Bible is something we as Catholics know we should do. But let's be honest, it can be kind of complicated. Even though it's a complete story, the Bible isn't really one book. It's more like a library with dozens of books and dozens of genres. There's poetry, prophecy, and prose. There are apocalypses and revelations, historical accounts and allegories. No wonder it's difficult to keep a finger on the story of God's love and plan of salvation for his people, the thread that keeps all of it together. If you're wishing there was a simple guide to help you tie all of this together, then you're just like Jeff Cavins and Tim Gray. That's why they wrote the book, Walking with God. Walking with God is a single book that traces the story that ties the Bible together. It helps you to understand the big picture of the Bible. If you're looking to read more of the Bible, Walking with God will help you do it with confidence, peace, and clarity. You can find out more and order Walking with God on ascensionpress.com or on Amazon. And we're back. Just a quick reminder, you can send me your questions at askfatherjosh at ascensionpress.com. If you're feeling fancy, record a voice note and we can play it on a future show. And please rate and review us on iTunes and other podcast formats so other people can find out about the gift of the show. Next question comes in from Patrick. Patrick, St. Patrick's Day was this past weekend. He says this, Instagram and Facebook, Dear Father Josh, first up, a deep thank you for your ministry. I've been experiencing and working toward a daily conversion, me too, for the last little while. And honestly, I'd likely have given up were it not for you. Oh, dude, thank you. Praise Jesus Christ. He's awesome. Come Holy Spirit. And some of the other Catholic podcasts out there. Yes, those Catholic podcasts are really good. I've been checking out Jeff Cavins lately, uh, Father Mike Schmitz. Uh, and they've been very helpful for me. I live in Los Angeles. My bad. Probably meant to say I live. I live in Los Angeles and work in entertainment. So as you can imagine, it's hard to be faithful. Now, on to my question. I've never pushed you about my faith, but I do like to share on social media quotes, cool prayers. Man, thanks for the, turning me on to litanies. Yeah, litanies are the best, right? 
and religious pictures. I'm not pushy about my faith, and I usually keep it to myself, preferring to not use words to preach the gospel, but deeds and life as the apocryphal saying goes. Also, admittedly, part of that is out of fear of confrontation out there. I'm weak. Well, praise God, you can, you can acknowledge your limitation. Anyway, when I do share those things uh, above as mentioned, images, quotes, prayers, etc., inevitably someone will point to Matthew 6, 5. I don't feel like I'm walking down the streets dressed in sackcloth and shouting, but I'm, I'm not sure how to best respond because I want to share the gospel. But at the same time, when someone confronts me like this, I kind of just want to be like Matthew 10, 14 and shake the dust from my shoes. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> shake your dust. Mm-hmm. Shake them haters off. Shake them haters off. Shake them haters off. Dust yourself off and try again. Dust yourself off and try again. I'm sorry. Music. There it is. How are we called to be open about our faith and share the gospel and at the same time not share? Thanks, man. I'll continue to pray for both of our daily conversions. Patrick, dude, great, great, great question. So, I mean, it's all about intention, right? Why are you sharing? The, the, the whole thing with Matthew chapter 6 was basically talking about intention. Some people walked around with sackcloth and ashes and shouted about what they were doing because they wanted to be seen. They wanted to be noticed. It was more about them, and it wasn't about Jesus. It wasn't about trying to be bridges for other people to encounter the Lord and His mercy and um, and grow in holiness. And so why are you doing it is the question. That's what we have to keep in mind, the intention. God is not calling us to be private with our faith. Whenever the Holy, whenever the Holy Spirit descended upon the apostles in Acts chapter 2, they were in their holy huddle. They, they had their experience of Jesus, and they kept it to themselves. And when they kept it to themselves, no fruit was happening. But the second they received the Holy Spirit, they went outside the walls, and they began to talk about Jesus in public. They shared the joy of the gospel publicly, and we see the fruit of that is the church exponentially grew. The church was already there. The church was born from the pierced heart of Jesus, right? Um, but the church grew at Pentecost because they began to share Jesus publicly. And so we are called to do that as well. We're called to bring Jesus Christ out there into the world so that other people can experience the joy of the gospel. The martyrs in the church, they were martyred because they shared Jesus publicly. We're not going to condemn them and say, well, they should have kept their faith to themselves. No, they shared Jesus. And as they were dying, many of them gave testimony to him as they would shout out the name of Jesus and Mary on their deathbed. And many people came to believe in Christ because of that. So it comes down to what's your intention? Is your intention to be praised by others or is your intention to give glory to God? If the intention is to give glory to God, then shout him from the rooftops. If your intention is to get praise for yourself, then I would say don't shout him temporarily so that you can get purified before you go out there and bring the joy of the gospel to the world. So hopefully that was helpful for you, Patrick. And if you have any other advice for our brother, uh, let me know. Again, ask Father Josh at AssistionPress.com. Final question comes in from Valentina. I like that name, Valentina. She says this. My question has to do with something that was said in one of my university classes last year. It was an intro to sociology class, a huge class of about 400 people. And the topic was that was being discussed was sexism. And the professor asked a question along the lines of, where is sexism prevalent in today's society? One girl raised her hand and answered, the Catholic Church. And I couldn't help but sort of chuckle under my breath that she thought that it was true. Now, I can understand from an outside perspective why she thought that. All she manages to see is a hierarchy of men in fancy robes. (laughs) 
Right. Telling their followers what to believe. <laughs> Sorry, that just sounds funny. Obviously, there's so much more to that than what the eye meets. Now, I know that what the girl said is not true, but how could one go about explaining why this isn't true to someone who may not know about the Catholic Church or the faith while also highlighting the importance of role of women and religious sisters and that they play within the church? Valentina, great question. So, is the church sexist? Um, I, I think you can answer this question in two ways. First of all, we, we must say no in one sense, because the church is the body of Christ. Jesus Christ has espoused himself through the church. The two have become one flesh. We cannot talk about Jesus without talking about the church. We are the body of Christ. And so you cannot say something about the church that cannot be said about Christ in one sense. So you can't say the church is sexist, because if you say the church was sexist, then you're saying that Jesus Christ is sexist, because he identifies himself with his bride. Remember in Acts, when Saul was persecuting the Christians, he didn't say, why, Saul, why persecuting them, the Christians, my disciples, and my church? He said, why are you persecuting me? Because he identifies himself with us, his body. And so in one sense, we cannot say the church is sexist because we cannot ever say Jesus Christ is sexist because he's not. Jesus Christ spent so much of his time um, like walking with women and helping women and affirming their dignity, the woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery, the blessed mother's role in salvation history, Mary Magdalene, like women were affirmed, Martha and Mary, by Jesus Christ. He really went above and beyond what, what the culture was doing and the cultural norms of treating women. He highlighted women um, in their walk toward eternity. John Paul writes a lot about this in one of his encyclicals on the dignity um, of women. It's a great encyclical. Check it out. However, in another sense, one could say that the church is sexist if we mean members of the body of Christ, particular members of the body of Christ, because we are all still broken and we're being perfected by God's grace in our walk toward eternity. We're still members of the body of Christ. We still are the church, but we don't always act like the church, right? We don't always act like the bride of Christ. And so members of the body of Christ, because we're fallen, we're broken. Sometimes we can be sexist and we can implement sexist policies and practices in our parishes and our chanceries and our dioceses. And so that might be what people might experience. They might experience that from people who are the body of Christ, but are being perfected over time, who implement things that represent the church in their practices and in written rules and handbooks that come off as sexist. And so in that sense, there are people in the body of Christ who, because they're not perfected yet and they're being perfected and they're still broken, uh, they do they do act sexist. Just like they can act racist, they can act in many other broken, sinful ways, right? Um, so uh, yes, in a sense, we can never say the church is sexist because Jesus Christ is the bridegroom of the church, the two have become one flesh, and we can't separate the two. Uh, in another sense, we could say members of the church are sexist, and they have hurt women throughout generations. They have done this since the fall of Adam and Eve, right? Men have tried to dominate women, and as part of the fall, we go back to Genesis, we read about it, um, and women have experienced that, that, negative, that negative effect of original sin for thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years. So as we are purified in our walk toward eternity, we're called to manifest authentic relationships, holy relationships that model after Jesus's love for the church, Jesus's love for men and women um, who we are in, uh, in relationship with. So Valentina, I hope that help, helps you. Yes. So you can definitely listen to your friend who said that, your classmate in ask her what she means, and then like acknowledge, yeah, and affirm, yeah, there are people who've done that. But those people also um, uh, are only the church in a sense, right? Because the church is also um, the bride of Christ who's married to Christ 
church can't be, right? The church is also in heaven. The church is the saints. The church and saints in heaven, they're perfect. Like they're, they're the church that's already made it. And the church in heaven, they are not sexist, right? None of them are sexist because they're, they've been purified. We on earth are being purified. And so we're still broken. Uh, and so we still make mistakes and we still hurt people. Um, and, um, and we need to repent of that. We do need to repent of that. And we need to continue to try to manifest the authentic glory of God which is men and women fully alive in Christ, men and women who are fully in accord with Christ. And so, yeah, that's, that's a journey that we're all on. But hopefully my answer was helpful. It might have been confusing for you. I'm not sure. Let me know. Uh, hit me up at asfollowjoshuaessentialpress.com. And so, anyways, that's the end of today's show. Some follow-up points. Number one, uh, Jesus loves the church. Jesus loves the church. Jesus loves the church. He's united with the church we can't separate Jesus from the church. The church and Jesus Christ have become one. The two have become one flesh. So uh, just be careful whenever we're talking about the church because what we say about the body of Christ will, will be said about our Savior. We can't say, well, I love Jesus in prayer if I don't love his body on earth. Uh, the two go hand in hand together. When it comes to Instagram and Facebook ministry and expressing our faith, just keep in mind, what's my intention? Is my intention to be praised by other people or is my intention to give glory to God? So always check my intention at the front door when it comes to Lenten penances and practices. Uh, the ache that we experience from denying ourselves a good is meant to draw us to Jesus, draw us to intimacy to Christ. I detach from this so I can attach to him who is my savior. And when it comes to dealing with sadness and depression, healing happens um, in many ways in sacraments and in intentional prayer in counseling in in medication and in service to the poor. And it also happens um, sometimes overnight and sometimes over months, sometimes over years, sometimes over an entire lifetime, sometimes in purgatory. And so the goal is to keep struggling to find the healing graces that Christ has in store for us in our walk toward eternity. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Father, we love you. We praise you. Send forth your Holy Spirit upon us. Give us the graces that we need to become radical disciples who lean on your Son, Jesus Christ, every second of the day. Speak to us tonight in our sleep. Uh, speak to us through people at work and at school. Speak to us through our family members, Lord Jesus Christ. We just want to give you the freedom to do what you want with us, when you want with us, and your will, way, and time, so that we can continue to follow your word and your voice in our walk with you toward eternity. Come, Holy Spirit, make us great saints. But, Lord, be gentle with us because we are weak and we are limited, but you know that already. And so just give us the graces that we can receive right now in this very moment to become saints. We love you, Jesus. We adore you. We worship you. We thank you. We're grateful, grateful, grateful for your love. Your love is enough. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace.